welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Luke chapter 1, 26 through 55. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is a six-month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, The baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham 
and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we uh, dig into your word here that that would be our heart, that our heart would say, we are your servants. Let it be to us according to your word. That's something that only you can do. We pray that you would do it this morning. We're gathered here as those who are in deep need of you. Lord, we're thankful for the rain that you brought, Lord, the, the way you've refreshed the earth. And we just pray, Lord, that you would do that for our souls as we gather here, that you would refresh us, that you would fill us with your spirit. Even as you promised in, in the new covenant, Ezekiel 36, that you would wash us of our idols, that you give us new hearts, and that you would fill us with your spirit. And so we just pray this morning, Lord, come, do what you've promised in the new covenant. And we pray that you do it for the glory of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So here we are in our second week of the Advent series. Advent means arrival. Advent is kind of the traditional way that Christians have prepared their hearts for Christmas. In Advent, we look back to what God has done in the first coming of Jesus in his first Advent. And we see how he's fulfilled all those promises, and that encourages us to look forward to the second coming, that he's going to fulfill all those promises too. It reminds us of his faithfulness. He keeps all of his promises. And uh, last week we passed out some Advent guides for you guys. Um, if you didn't get one, you can go to covegrace.org, and at the very bottom there's a link to our Advent guides so that you guys can practice Advent at home. It's a great way to practice family worship. It's a great way to get your hearts ready for Christmas. And it's cool, guys. It's really cool that our culture has decided to join us in this, isn't it? Whether they know it or not, they put up the lights, they got out the food, they play a lot of our songs. It's amazing how often in Starbucks or you're out shopping or whatever, and you'll hear some of the songs we're singing here that are worship songs, songs that talk about to give the new birth and, you know, that he reigns as king and all these like rich worship songs. And we're hearing them just even out here in our culture. And we have the great honor to bring the meaning of Christmas to them. And um, notice the attitude there. So they've set the stage and we get to bring the meaning. We don't expect the culture to bring the meaning. We don't sit around griping that they're not bringing the meaning. That's our job. And so how could we do that? There's a few things that we could do. We've got these Gospel of Luke books. And uh, what you could do is you could include these in cookies or gifts or whatever that you're giving out this Christmas season, and you could just tell people, hey, the first couple of chapters in here are about the Christmas story. And if you like that, keep reading. Uh, they're beautiful. It's a great way to kind of reach out in a really low-pressure way. We also have some invite cards out there, so you can invite people to, to church throughout December, including Christmas Day. I know some of you are just immensely shocked that such a thing would happen, but uh, it is on Sunday. And Sunday's the Lord's Day, so we're doing it. And there will be people in our community, believe it or not, that will be so thankful that they could come here. You need to think about all the Christmas movies, about the people that don't have anywhere to go. This would be a great place for them to come, wouldn't it? To like worship the Lord and hear about Christmas. Last week, guys, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus. It was way more riveting than you thought. And uh, it was about how this long-promised Messiah includes us into his family by grace and then redeems our whole past. And if you didn't get that, listen to it. This morning, we're going to look at how Mary responds to the news that she will be the mother of the Messiah. This passage is traditionally called the Annunciation or the Announcement. It's the Announcement to Mary. And it's shocking announcement. 
It's a shocking announcement to Mary. Well, I mean, it's partly shocking because like an angel brings it. Like that doesn't happen every day. That's shocking in and of itself. But there's a couple other reasons that this is shocking. It's shocking because of what Mary was promised. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. What's going on here? Well, about a thousand years before this, before this announcement, God promised King David that one day somebody would come from his line, David's line, that would reign on David's throne forever, which is a strange promise. You think, how could you ever have a human king that would reign forever? You know, there's a lot of these, you know, threads and stuff that come together, right, at Christmas in a really satisfying way, but that's, that's called the Davidic Covenant. And then over the centuries, so that was a thousand years before Jesus, and then over those centuries, God expands the promise. He's like, I know that sounded good. I'm going to make it bigger. And the expansion of the promise was that this king would not only rule over Israel, but would rule over all nations and come and bring justice and peace to the whole world. That he would come and reign and make the world right. He would be the king to to set everything right. And so for a thousand years, Israel waits for this promise, right? And they wait for this promised Savior King, this Messiah. But during that time of waiting, things just got worse, didn't they, for Israel? Just got worse and worse. I mean, uh, most of the kings following David were terrible, right? They were conquered and brought into exile in Babylon. Their temple was destroyed. Finally, after 70 years, they come out of Babylon. They come back. They can build back their temple, but it never was what it used to be. The nation and the temple were never what they used to be in the glory days of David and Solomon. So by the time of the Annunciation, Israel is demoralized. (laughs) They're beat down. They're occupied. They're, They're suffering. Even worse, it's been 400 years since the Lord spoke to them. There were no prophets for 400 years. That's a long time. We think that goes all the way back to the Protestant Reformation or something. I mean, 400 years of silence. And so it's at this extremely low point in Israel's history that this angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, now's the time. The Messiah is going to come. And not only is the Messiah coming, which would be great enough news, but you will be his mother. And she's shocked by this. And she's shocked because of who she is. I mean, she's poor. We find out later that they're very poor. When they dedicate Jesus at the temple, they have to give a poor person's offering for him. She's from a nothing town. You know, remember what Nathaniel said when he learned that Jesus was from Nazareth? Do you remember what he said? Can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, you guys could fill in the towns nearby that you could say that about if it was like, oh, the Messiah came from where? What good could come from there? I'm not going to offend you by naming your hometown. Let's not do that. Well, I'll just do mine. I'm from Lakeside, California, okay? So Lakeside's in East County of San Diego, and Lakeside would be the perfect place to say, what good could come out of Lakeside? It's that kind of a deal. Sorry to my parents who are listening, and my brothers who live there. Where did the Old Testament prophecies say the Messiah would come from? Bethlehem, right? We're going to find out how that all came together. She was also a a strange choice because she was very young. Verse 27 says that she was betrothed, which is a type of engagement. She wasn't yet married. And from what we know of that culture, she's somewhere around 14 years old. Okay, she's very young. And the most surprising part is she's a virgin, which leads to the question in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's like, I just had eighth grade science class. We went over this. I know how this works. 
Like, this is not possible. How will this be? But I love the way she responds. She doesn't say, impossible, or I can never believe that. How does she respond? She responds the way that African Bishop Augustine said we should respond, which is faith-seeking understanding, right? She responds with faith-seeking understanding. And it's a wonderful way to deal with your doubts. I mean, you have doubts. Many Christians have doubts and questions about Christianity. The right posture is this. How will these things be? I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me out here, Lord. You know, give me a little bit more. If you have doubts or questions about the Bible or Christianity, I just say, let's talk. And I'm being very honest about that. I love it when somebody has objections, questions, doubts about Christianity. This is something I love to do. I know this is something that Josh and Gabe love to do. There's many people in our church that would love to talk to you about that. And so there's no need to hide or suppress or, you know, push down your doubts. Let's seek answers. So she doesn't hear like, hey, you're going to, you know, the virgin birth of the Messiah. And she goes, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. But inside she's like, oh, this doesn't make sense, right? She asks a question, how can this be? Faith-seeking understanding. Mary asks, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And she gets a kind of shocking answer. Shocking announcement, a question, shocking answer. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is in her sixth month of whom she is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary's answer here, well, how can this be? I'm a virgin, is what we call the doctrine of the virgin birth, or maybe even better, the doctrine of the virgin conception, because the birth isn't the, it's the conception that's amazing, right? The Belgian Confession defines the, the doctrine of the virgin birth this way. The eternal Son of God, so God himself, truly assumed a real human nature with all its weakness, except for sin, being conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit without male participation. I love the last part. Don't you love that? Isn't that a great, like, 16th century euphemism? Without male participation. So, so great. And a lot of you guys with kids in here are just relieved I'm not going further. Because you're like, he does go further. He always does. I'm a veterinarian, so I'm like, let's dig into the details, you know? But, okay. There's certainly some mystery here, guys, which is awesome, and I think that's something we need to think about when we think about the virgin birth and a lot of things. There's mystery here, and mystery is good. When you are left with mystery, it means you went all the way to the edge. You, know, you investigated all the way, and maybe later, like, some of that mystery will be solved, and you'll get a little bit more information, but to come up against mystery is a good thing. That means you've thought about something really deeply. We're not going to explain away this miracle. Like, who does that, Right? But one thing we can say for sure is that such a thing is no problem for God, right? It's no problem for God. If you have a God who's made everyone and everything, then you, by definition, have a God who can do anything he wants, right? If you don't believe in a God that's made all this, if you're what's called a materialist, where you're like, you know, I believe in the material things that we can measure and touch and, 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 and investigate scientifically, if you're a materialist, then the physical world is a problem to you. you got much bigger problems, which is, where did all this come from? Like, we have the virgin birth that's a mystery to us. Your mystery is where the entire universe came from. And it turns out there's not a lot of really good options on offering for that question. 
If there is a God, then literally anything is possible. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. If not, then you know, you're left with a situation where you don't have an explanation for everything that you hold dear, actually. I love what Glenn Scrivener said about this. He said the, that Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Materialists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. Choose your miracle. Let me read that again. Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Materialists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. Choose your miracle. Virgin birth is also really important. It's important for a few reasons. Virgin birth, or the virgin conception, fulfills prophecy. Isaiah 7, 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It also fulfills another prophecy, a more cryptic one. In Genesis 3, 15, there's this really interesting promise right after the fall that a seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent that there would be the seed of the woman who somehow defeats Satan and, and saves the world. And it's a really weird thing to say, seed of the woman, right? Seeds are from the man, typically. There's a seed of the woman. It's a hint, right? Even back then, that there would be this conception with no male participation, right? Uh, the virgin conception means that Jesus is truly human but without sin. And there's a hint of that here. Look at verse 35. That he could be human yet without sin. It says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then look at the next word. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That somehow the virgin conception means that Jesus is able to be born without a sin nature, without inherited sin. Jesus is fully human yet with no sin. The virgin birth also means that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That Jesus is um, two natures, a human and divine nature, in one person. That Jesus is God and yet fully one of us. And I think a lot of us have a confusion about this. We tend to think that he's human on the outside, God on the inside, right? But he's not. Jesus is God on the inside and the outside. He has a real human soul. Let's put it another way. Jesus is not God in a man suit. I think a lot of times we think God, you know, put on a man suit and kind of does all this stuff. That's not what he is. Jesus is not God operating a human body the way we might drive a car, right? That it's us on the inside and it's something else on the outside. Jesus is human on the inside too. And you guys might notice I'm talking in present tense because he's still human. You know, Colossians says that all the fullness of deity dwells, present tense, in bodily form that he's still fully human, that he took on our humanity and he kept it. So from eternity past, he is not human. He's God, God the Son. He, he remains God the Son and adds humanity and keeps humanity with him as integral to who he is forever in the future. That's a trip, right? This is a thing he wasn't before that he will always be forever, to be one of us. It's amazing. It's totally amazing. And yet still God. So two natures, one person. If you want a fancy term, it's hypostatic union. Teach your small children to say that. Press people at Christmas. But it's the union of his human and divine nature. And God had to become fully man to be our savior. And the reason for this is that only a human should pay for human sin, but only God is able to pay for human sin. So only man should pay for human sin, and only God had the power to do it. Only a human should, only God could. 
Jesus is also, and this is important why he became a man, is that he is our real human righteousness. So there's a, a covenant to be upheld, a covenant whereby human beings offer their obedience to God. We've never been able to do that. Jesus comes in and he offers the real human covenantal obedience to God that we haven't been able to do. He is our righteousness. He supplies our human faithfulness to God, what we've never been able to do. Isn't that amazing? This passage also answers a really important question. There's another important question that this passage answers. This passage answers the age-old question of, Mary, did you know? (laughs) Mary, did you know? You know, Mary, did you know? She did, like 100%, yes, totally knew. In fact, she knew more about all this than any other person on the planet at this point, right? She did know, 100%. I was making fun of that song years ago to Chad, who used to lead worship here, and just kind of, I know, you give a hug because she loved the song. Sorry. <laughs> it's like a mother heart song, you know, like let's, I'm not going to keep beating it up. But I was making fun of it to Chad, and then Chad, like the next Sunday, he just plays it. And I was like, wow. He was like, I heard you. I like the song. And Monique likes the song. I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm done. Okay. Okay, so there's this shocking announcement. And then what happens here next in verse 38 is a shocking consent. Take a look at it. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So Mary actually consents to be the mother of the Messiah. This virgin conception has not happened yet. We can tell from the tense. Verse 31 says, You will conceive and your woman bear a son. Verse 35 says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, right? So this has not happened yet. And before this actual conception happens, Mary actually gives this amazing consent to it. You see it in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's amazing. You might say, well, like, what's, what's so shocking about this consent? Consider the amazing risk that Mary's putting herself in, this 14-year-old girl in that culture. Okay? There was the social risk. You know, pregnancy out of wedlock could very well cause her to be a social outcast. She loses her friends and family. There's the marital risk. She has plans to marry this nice guy, Joseph. That could really fall through if she has this pregnancy. She can't quite explain, right? It almost does fall through. We read that in Matthew. And she'd be very, very unlikely to have another opportunity for marriage, any kind of really good one anyway. There's the emotional risk. Think about the emotional toll of being the mother of the Messiah, right? Simeon warns her about this in the next chapter, Luke 2, 34. Simeon blesses them and says to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and then listen to this, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary would worry about her son's safety, you know, when there's all this controversy and threats and opposition. At one point, even her whole family believes that Jesus has gone insane. But the the sword would really most painfully pierce her heart as she stood at the foot of the cross and looked up and saw her son, her boy, being tortured to death slowly on a cross. Like, they never stop being your babies, right? There's the physical risk. Let's not forget the risk of physical death if she consents to this. She lives in a culture where women can literally get killed for being pregnant out of wedlock. And yet there's this amazing consent. Take a look at it again. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. 
Let it be to me according to your word. Guys, that is courageous faith. That's rugged, 14-year-old, courageous girl faith. Isn't it? Isn't she impressive? She's amazing. And I think, like, wouldn't you be proud to raise a kid like that? Or to be a kid like that? Or to be an adult like that? <laughs> like, it's amazing, right? And it wasn't like a reserved, like, all right, you got me, you're God. No, it wasn't grudging. She sang a song about it. It's in verses 46 through 45. It's called The Magnificent. She sings a song. This is a musical, you know? This is crazy. She's like, oh, you know, she starts singing. She's so happy about it. She's happy to do it. Where does this courageous faith come from? Guys, this is important for us because we need it too, don't we? Do we need courageous faith? We do. Mary is not just to be admired, but to be imitated, right? So how do we imitate her? How can we get the courageous faith she had? Because Jesus promised us, right, that following him won't be easy. Sometimes we're upset when it's not easy. We're like, I thought he said everything would be great if I followed him. And I'm like, I don't think he said that. I think somebody told you that, but he was pretty explicit about it. He said, you'll deny yourself, take up your cross, and lose your life following me right? Following Jesus can cost you like Mary. It can cost you socially, right? Like Mary did. It can cost you maritally. Some people's marriages cost them that. Emotionally, even physically. Following him means not withholding anything he asks from you. That's what it means to follow him, right? It sounds like, behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And I just asked you this morning, do you have Mary's kind of relationship with the Lord? Have you put your whole self on the table and said, hey, it's all yours. Let it be to me according to your word. Do you have that kind of relationship? Or are you hold parts back? You're like, yeah, you can have this part. I don't really care much about that anyway. You know, or is it like my whole life? Do you have Mary's kind of relationship with the Lord? A behold, I am your servant. Let it be according to your word kind of relationship. Whatever he commands. And when you hear the commands of Scripture, do you think, let it be to me according to your word? Are you like, okay, count me in. I don't understand this completely, but I'm, I'm going to do what you say. What about providence? Whatever providence brings, his providence brings. I mean, I have this imagination, this like dystopian doomsday imagination. You guys would love to hang out in there. And um, I can imagine all kinds of things to dread in the future. Maybe some of you are like that too. And even knowing God's in control, but, you know, dark providences, things he could bring, you know, that would be just grim and terrible. You know, when you think of those things, the pain or sickness or loneliness or suffering that might be coming for you, those dark providences, is your heart towards God. You know what? Let it be to me according to your word. Amen. Whatever you ordain for me, I trust you. Amen right? Whatever the cost, whatever the risk. And if not, and I think we all could grow here, that's for sure, uh, if we don't have that kind of courageous faith, where do we get it from? Where did Mary get it from? I think we can tell from the context. There's a couple places Mary got this courageous faith from. First place is by being blown away by God's grace. This passage talks again and again about the grace that God had for Mary. Gabriel calls her the favored one in verse 28, and then tells her, you have found favor with God, verse 30. Elizabeth says, Blessed are you among women, verse 42, and then again calls her blessed in verse 45. And then Mary herself recognizes the grace of God in her life and says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Like this whole announcement has this sense of like 
God is so gracious to Mary. God is so insanely favoring Mary. I mean, she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. She's going to be what later in 451, the Council of Ephesus called her. It's totally legit. The Theotokos, the God-bearer. She gets to be the God-bearer. She gets to be the one who brings the Messiah into the world. Isn't that amazing? Or you think about the promise in Genesis 3.15 about one day the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. She gets to be the woman in that promise. That promise that was at the very opening of humanity. God chose her to be that woman. God chose her to be the better Eve, where Eve distrusted God and was instrumental in the destruction of the world. Mary trusted God and was allowed to be a part of God's plan to redeem the world through Jesus. Where Eve failed, Mary was faithful. God chose her for that. You know, He didn't have a contest. He didn't have like a, a, a Miss Israel contest or something like that. And she was the smartest one and the best one. And you know, she looked the best in a swimsuit or something like that. It wasn't that kind of a deal, right? God chose her by grace. And we can see in verse 26 that Mary was... 26 through 30, that Mary was shocked by this. She was troubled. She was confused by God choosing her. She was like, are are you sure you don't have the wrong address? Like, this is weird greeting. I'm not the right person. I'm not the person you're looking for. Out of all the women in history, God chose her. Why? God gives no reason. He just set his affection on her from eternity past and chose her for this role. Amazing. That'll make her want to offer herself to God, right? Here's the thing. God has chosen you too. If you find yourself this morning strangely drawn to Christ, if you find yourself loving Him, if you find yourself trusting in Him as your Messiah, I can tell you why. It's because God chose you. Isn't that crazy? It's wild, huh? 1 Thessalonians 1.4, Paul is so bold as to say this to the church. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And why? How can you say that? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full conviction. Do you want Jesus this morning? Do you want him? Do you hear about him and you go like, I want him. I need him. I want him to be mine. I can tell you this. He wanted you first. And not by like a short amount like it was yesterday. Like eternity passed first. Isn't that amazing? And I just say, if you haven't come to him yet, but you want him, what are you waiting for? Are you crazy? I'm waiting for Christmas. Like, let's not do that. We don't know Christmas is going to get here. Okay? We don't know when this whole story ends. Come to him now. He wants you first. <laughs> you know? You can't be like, oh, I want him, and then I'm going to show up, and there's going to be a closed door. There's going to be a totally open door. And he's going to be there like, hey, I called you here. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, it's because God has already chosen you. And like Mary, you might be... Um, a little bit shocked by that? Troubled? Confused? God has chosen you. Why? I have no idea. I mean, look at you. (laughs) I have no idea, right? But I do know that it wasn't because of any good he foresaw in you. We know that from Romans 9. It's all grace. Like he did with Mary, God simply set his affection on you from eternity past. It's all grace. God has chosen you by grace for everlasting happiness and fellowship with him. And so, let me ask you this. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel? 
I hope it makes you feel like, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word, right? To be loved like that by grace, to be chosen to be his child, to be drawn to him is to say, you know what? I don't have any resistance then. <laughs> like, you can have my whole life. You know, I think she had this courageous faith because of God's presence and power. Think about this. Think about what Mary's being promised here. She's being promised to be the Theotokos, right? The God-bearer. That she will, for nine months, carry God in her body, okay? Like, that's the promise. And then the promise after that is that, after that, God's going to, like, live in her house with her, right? Will be her child, living in her house, and after that, she will have him in her life. Guys, that's a very good reason to face all the troubles to come with courageous faith, right? You say, okay, this sounds risky. This sounds dangerous. Oh, but God's going to be in me, and then he's going to be with me? Okay, we can do that, right? It's his presence and power. You're like, okay, if I have Jesus with me, then anything I have to deal with in this life, I can handle. There's nothing that she couldn't face if Jesus was there, right? You remember the crisis about the wine? You know, at the wedding? What did she do? She did what she always did. Whenever there was trouble, she leaned on Jesus. She reached out to him. She went to him. And he was always there. He would always be there. His presence and power was always with her. And here's the thing, once again, you have Jesus' presence and power with you if you're a Christian. You are a kind of Theotokos. You're a kind of God-bearer. Colossians says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That you have, by the Holy Spirit, Christ dwelling in you. There's nothing you can't face with him, right? Like, he's going to be there. That future you dread, and I always think, like, whenever I spin these dystopian things in my mind, one thing that's common with all of them is that God's not in that story. You guys ever notice that? Like, this is going to go terrible, and then this, and then this. But when you tell the story, God's not a character in the story. Really interesting, right? Guys, he's going to be there too, right? The future you dread won't be dreadful, and the reason why it won't be dreadful, like you think it will, is because God will be there. I'm not telling you, like, everything's going to be fine, like, your life will be great. What are you talking about? Nothing bad can happen to you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that no matter what happens, it won't be dreadful because God will be there. It's never dreadful when God's there, right? He will be there. Christ will be there, like he was for Mary. He's always there. He's always been there when we needed him. He was always there for her. He'll always be there for us. His presence and his power will make absolutely everything okay. Things that you couldn't imagine being okay are okay with Jesus, right? And so I think you can look to the future and you can say, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the, the faithfulness of Mary this morning. We're so thankful to see it. Pretty ashamed of ourselves, actually, as we see a 14-year-old girl act like this. But we're so thankful for her faithfulness. And we just pray, Lord, that you would give us that same courageous faith, Lord. We know you can. We ask that you would. And even more, we thank you for the faithfulness of your son, Jesus, who became a real human being, who gave you all the human obedience that we were never able to do. We thank you that his obedience is ours because we're in him. We thank you, Father, ultimately for the faithfulness of Jesus on that night before the cross when he was in the garden and he prayed, if it is possible, take this cup from me. 
But then he closed with, not my will, but yours. Father, your son Jesus was the ultimate one to say, behold, I am your servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. And we're so thankful he did that. It's the reason that we can stand here happy and holy before you. Help us give our whole selves to you all the days of our life. All God's people pray. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.